This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here, and I figured it was about time for a little State of the Union. Usually I do my State of the Union solo, but I thought this time I might bring in someone that knows a little bit about what may be going on down under. And basically, she could basically host a podcast because she does one herself with the Racket Magazine. And that's uh, the one and only Renee Stubbs, who, of course, works with us for the last couple of years as well at ESPN, one of the great doubles players in her time, not to mention a pretty decent singles player, too. And how are things uh, <laughs> down under at the moment, Stubbsy? Well, uh, well, first of all, thanks for the introduction. Uh, second of all, what a, what a nice uh, surprise for me to get this opportunity to spend this time with you, particularly when <laughs> it has anything to, do with, anything to do with the State of the Union, because, uh, you know, I am not shy in how I feel about things. But Patrick, having said all of that, things are great down here. Um, we are well and truly ready to host a Grand Slam. This country is, as you know, has probably had some of the strictest COVID restrictions in any country. So it's going to be interesting to see how the players react when they get down here and do all the rules and regs, but I think they're very happy that they're able to come down here to Australia and experience another Grand Slam. Well, give me a little bit, because I think people here are intrigued by what actually happens in Australia. And uh, we, were, we were on a call, the two of us, with our other cohorts from ESPN just in the past week, sort of turking, talking about uh, the plans for us at ESPN. Of course, most of us are going to stay back here. Uh, I'll likely be in Bristol, Connecticut, the headquarters of ESPN, with, with some of our other announcers. You, of course, will be chiming in from Australia. You also coach Samantha Stozer. All right, so I think a lot of people here are intrigued, Stubbsy, about uh, exactly what the quarantine is like down in Australia and sort of what, what it entails for even a citizen like yourself to come back into the country. So tell our audience here, well, around the world, but I think most Americans, they ask me, are you going to be going to Australia? I said, no. You know, this, the, the situation is a little bit different down there with the way the government works down there. So what, what was that like for you and just what's that like generally in uh, Australia right now? Yeah, I mean, even for me, coming back, I came back early December because, as you said, I'm working with Sam Stoza, so she wanted to have, you know, at least a good month of month or two of preparation for the Aussie because um, she hasn't played since Indian Wells. So came back early December, straight into hotel quarantine. You get on the bus. Once you get off the uh, plane, they really escort you through. They do a, um, you know, some questions about where you've been and um, where you've come from and all that sort of stuff. And then you get on a bus and straight to a hotel room. You don't leave. No windows. No, no fresh air. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, the first five minutes was probably the worst part about it. When thinking, well, I can't leave my room for two weeks. But, but you do. You definitely um, adjust to it. And what were the things you did during that time? I mean, I guess what everyone's doing here, that, that staying home, you know, in different lockdown times that we've been just on Zoom, were you able to exercise at all? What could you do in your room? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was exercising as much as I, I could in the room, um, trying to stay on some kind of a uh, schedule, uh, you know, getting up in the morning. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of time in the States because I lived there, so I'd get up in the morning and I would you know, check in on what was going on on the other side of the world. And I would, you know, I was reading my book and, you know, what, what, what we normally do, catch up with some friends. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, for everybody, everybody has to go through it. So for me, it was just a matter of 
you know, just kind of maintaining my mental state and physical state. And, and as I said, I, I'd read as much as I could and just, you know, got through it. To be honest with you, it was fine. Um, I think a lot of people sort of dread it, but once they get into it and they, they realize like what a daily routine can be like, that they're, they're fine. But once you get out of quarantine, Patrick, you realize why you did all the work because, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much the country is functioning as normal as, as, as any country does in normal times. Yeah, we, you, we were on a call just this past week with our cohorts from, from ESPN, and you were saying that literally life is basically completely normal at the moment in Australia. That's hard for us here in the U.S. to believe because, even, you know, wherever you are, there's different levels of uh, restrictions going on. I'm here in New York City, Westchester County, close to New York City, and basically everywhere I go, whether it's to the tennis academy, whether it's to, you know, go in town to get some groceries or pick up food, I mean, everybody's in a mask all the time. So that you're telling me that now in Australia, it's like people are walking around with no masks? Yeah, there's no masks. Um, we, we still are um, asking people once they go indoors to in any kind of indoor area, like shopping malls or, or stores or or restaurants and things like that, that you still wear a mask. Um, that's ha- what's happening in Victoria. Every state's a little bit different, like mm-hmm. Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia. They're all Every state has a different sort of mandate, but in Victoria in particular, because they really went to, they probably went through the worst lockdown almost in the world here in Melbourne, um, where you couldn't go more than 5Ks away from your own house, for example, for months and months. So, um, so yeah, it was very, very restrictive. It was very, very much a lockdown. And now that now that they've done it, and they've really squashed any COVID cases. I mean, we get two cases, Patrick, right. and the whole state gets shut down. So it's like, you know, everyone's very aware of to, to keep the country moving. Everybody needs to behave themselves, and they've been able to do that. And look what's happening. You know, we're having an Australian Open, and we're going to have a lot more fans in it than we did in New York. Yeah, there was no fans in New York, and uh, the last uh, we've heard where there was maybe going to be about 50% normal capacity, some, some, uh, and some reports I'm hearing 25%. So let's turn now to the Australian Open, Renee, and what, what, what are you hearing? You're there on the ground. You were telling us about on the call a little bit about the, uh, the, the work they're doing at actually Melbourne Park where the tournament is played, how they're moving the gym equipment outside, making it as safe as possible for when the players do arrive. So what's happening sort of on the ground there now? Yeah, I was obviously at the National Tennis Centre with Sam for you know just over a month practicing with her there. And then last week, even we, Sam, um, you know, we got sort of booted out per se um, and sent to a sort of satellite area of Melbourne to practice on some courts there because they're going through an entire cleaning. Um, they're building fencing around certain areas. There's going to be different um, spots to watch and view, particularly the week before the Australian Open. They're having like basically an area for the ATP Cup. Um, they're having an area for the WTA. So you can only stay in your certain area. And what they're doing right now is they're constructing all the sort of workout areas and places for all the we're calling them sort of the bubble players coming in from overseas are coming in for two weeks and they have to go through their 14-day quarantine. They're being allowed out for four or five hours a day so they can practice and work out. And all the sort of little gym equipment has been put into the parking lot, for example, at the mm-hmm. National Tennis Centre so everyone can train separately away from one another. Um, but like Australian players like, like us, like Sam, we're not allowed to go there for those two weeks. Mm. So it's kind of interesting for the Australian players that they've now been sort of ostracized out of that area to make way for the international players coming in who are doing their 14-day quarantine together. And then once that's over with, the, the, I think I believe the day before the tournament starts, actually, the tournament the week before, 
then we're allowed back into that area because then technically once everyone goes through the 14-day quarantine here and everyone's had numerous COVID negative tests, then it's, as I said, normal life down here. Amazing. Amazing. And I know that was one of the second points, you know, I was following it through the news and and through my sources. And obviously you're directly tied into a lot of the players. So you maybe even know a little bit more about this, but the negotiations between Tennis Australia and the group that that runs the Australian Open, Craig Tiley, who's the tournament director, obviously has had his hands full, just like the officials here in New York at the USDA did in putting on um, the US Open. But when it came to the sort of negotiations between Tennis Australia, the Australian government, the Victorian government, which is a state that hosts uh, the tournament in Melbourne. Uh, obviously, initially, they wanted the players, it sounded like, to go through a, that strict two-week quarantine like you went through, like citizens go through. Mm. And obviously, that mm. was that was going to be difficult for professional athletes to do that and then be prepared to play uh, a, not just a Grand Slam tournament, but any tournament. So how do you think they were able to get to that point of allowing the players to have those four hours of practice time, an hour of nutrition time on site at a practice facility, in addition to um, being able to obviously stay in the hotel where they're going to be at for those two weeks before they have competitive play? Well, I think a lot of negotiations, to be honest. And I think there's, uh, to be, you know, putting it mildly, a, a tremendous amount of pressure on Craig Tiley right now because, as I said, you know, Australia's really curved um, COVID. There's as I said, there's only minimal cases and most of them are coming in from overseas travel. Uh, we don't have a lot of community spread, as they call it here. We had a, an outbreak in Sydney, for example, a couple of weeks ago that was uh, 10 to 15 people that uh, ended up con- uh, contracting COVID and the whole state then went into lockdown. For example, I couldn't go back to New South Wales for Christmas. Um, I was going to go back up to Sydney from Melbourne for Christmas, but because if you went to the Sydney greater area, you couldn't come back to Victoria. So... As I said, because of the restrictions, the amount of pressure on Tennis Australia to get this right and make sure all the players that, you know, coming down here, they have to have negative, they have to have tests and they have to be negative before they can get on the plane, first of all. Um, and then once they get here, even if they have a negative test prior to getting on the flight, um, if they happen to have contracted, let, let's say, maybe two days later after a negative test, as you and I know, mm-hmm. negative test doesn't mean you don't get it. Right. They couldn't, let's say, get it on the plane, and then once they arrive, you know, a day or two later, ha- have be positive. Right. So they're really trying to make sure the most important thing is they don't want to have community spread down here in Australia because of all the work that everyone's done, particularly in Victoria, where it really was hit the hardest in Australia. So I would imagine that there was a lot of protocols that were you know, being make sure that, that those players are not anywhere near the public here in Australia. So um, I would imagine a lot of negotiations, but also the Australian Open is so pivotally and vital for the Australian public and for sports here in Australia to, to, to put it on. It's the biggest sporting event we have here in Australia. So um, I would say a lot of negotiations and a lot of headaches and a lot of lack of sleep, and I think that will continue until after the tournament's done. Yeah, but no, no international fans, correct? All the fans this year will just no. be... For- from Australia. That's right. No international fans, um, only domestic, you know, um, people that live here. And as I said, you know, even with the outbreak in Sydney, no people from New South, currently nobody from New South Wales can come down here either at the present moment because the border technically to Victoria is closed. So it'll be just all people from Melbourne or South Australia or Western Australia or Tasmania, for example, that they're all open to the state. So we even have our own border restrictions here in Australia. So it's, um, 
you know, I, I would still imagine we're going to get a tremendous amount of people that want to go. So, so we'll see how it goes. But a lot of pressure on um, Tennis Australia, and I'm sure the Victorian government feel a lot of pressure as well to get this right. Yeah, because they don't want uh, any of these tennis players or their entourages coming in and spreading this uh, virus and having it <clears throat> take off uh, again in Australia. All right, so let's get to the actual tournament, uh, Stubbsy, because uh, nobody knows more about what's going on inside and out uh, with the players, both on the men's tour and the women's tour, than you do. So when you look at, uh, you know, we talked a lot about this, we meaning, you know, us so-called experts leading into the U.S. Open. You know, would it help players that were a little you know, under the radar. So maybe you look at a Jennifer Brady, who obviously very athletic, you know, tremendous ball striker, but maybe the fact that, you know, no fans, different kind of pressure, maybe that helped her make that great mm -hmm. run that she did. But mm -hmm. I, I always felt myself that the best players are still the best players, whether there's 20,000 people or 10 people watching. And I think uh, the tournament bore that out with Osaka winning, with <clears throat> Dominic Team winning over Medvedev in the final. So when you look at sort of the way things you know, start to start to come around here for the Australian Open. Do you put the same old, same old as far as who the favorites are? Let's start with the women, with Osaka, Serena. It looks like she's planning on coming down. Who would you put as a favorite on the women's side at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I always look for those sort of players that don't, um, in my opinion, don't need a ton of tennis under their belt, you mm -hmm. know, coming into Australia. And I think there's no question that someone like a Naomi Osaka is, you know, I'll put her at the top of the list of players to 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 beat here in in Australia. I think it'll be interesting to see how Ash Barty is currently number one in the world, right. hasn't played since Indian Wells, can cope with um, you know having to play tournament style tennis. And and as you and I both know, practice is one thing, but playing matches is a completely different animal. And you know, your fitness is really tested in um, in match play. It's not as as affected as it is with the men's best of five. But there's no question that match play is. You can't you can't beat that as far as your stamina is concerned. So I put Naomi at the top there. I'm really really interested to see how Bianca Andreescu, who mm, we also haven't seen right. for a long time, you know, she's proven herself, Patrick, to be able to come back and not have a lot of matches under her belt and still win a lot of the tennis matches. So I'm really 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 pumped to see how she does coming back. And of course, you know, we have some people that, like you said, fly under the radar, like a Jennifer Brady or a. Sophia Kennan, who's not flying under the radar anymore, especially being defending champion here. Um, those types of players, how do they how do they come in? And then of course Swantek, who, mm -hmm. who won the French Open. Right. So um, athletic, yeah. Such, sort of, such yeah, such a great player on the clay. Just, yeah, just uh, I just love the variety that the women are I mean, uh, for example, today practicing with Dasha Gavrilova and Sam Stozin, and just is practicing her drop shots. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. like there's certain shots that these types of players are bringing back into the game of tennis and so for me, it's a lot of fun, but I definitely have to put Osaka up the top there um, as far as players have been. And Serena, we know how much she loves playing here in, in Australia. She'll, she, even with the smaller crowds, she'll have great, great support down here. Um, and, you know, is this the last time we're going to see her? I mean, that's the question that really... I, knew we, I know we've asked that for the last five years, but I don't know. I think this might be the last year for her to really give it a go to, to break this record. So we'll see. And... As far as the men, it's the same thing I said at the French Open last year with Rafa. Until he's not playing anymore, he's the favourite, no mm. matter what. And for me, here at the Aussie Open, it's Novak. I mean, he's the favourite every year down here. He just seems to, no matter what, be the best player um, down here in Melbourne. And I'd say he's definitely top, top of the group for the guys for me. And what do you think about some of the other guys that have been, uh, you know, more than knocking at the door? If your team obviously finally winning his first major 
at the Open. You've got Medvedev, who had a great uh, end of the year winning Paris and then mm-hmm. winning in London. I covered that one from Connecticut with ESPN, and he had yep. an unbelievable tournament there. Zverev, you know, had a run to the final there as well. So, you, obviously, as I agree with you. I think Djokovic is always going to be the favorite down there. He loves the conditions. I think he really likes playing also those bigger matches at the end at night because it's a, it's a, you know the, it's pretty predictable. The ball bounces very steady. You know, the U.S. Open can get super hot. It can get really windy. That can happen in Australia too. Obviously, the heat can always be a factor, but especially when you get from you know like the quarterfinals on, you pretty much know know if you're one of the big guys you're going to play at night and to me I think that's uh that helps someone like Djokovic because he can predict the conditions a little bit more there's not that x factor but who of those other guys do you think um you know has the best shot I would say team because he's done it you know played so well in the big ones before and now he's got a U.S. Open under his belt yeah no question and you know look he played fantastically well here last year so he was so close to possibly getting his first slam here um so he likes the conditions, the balls, and the, in my in my opinion, the balls suit him. They're a little bit, they don't really fly as much. Um, they're, you know, just been hitting with them over the last six weeks. They, you know, they, they fluff up really quickly. So it's a ball that he can sort of do a bit of damage with just because, you know, he doesn't necessarily need a fast ball because he just hits the ball so big. Um, the court's definitely playing a little faster this year than it was last year, and it's bouncing pretty well. Mm. Um so it honestly depends on the conditions here. As you said, we can have extremely hot days. So, you know, that suits someone like a Rafa or, or, right. or someone like that. But, like, Novak doesn't really make a lot of errors in, in general. So that's why the conditions really suit him down here. So it depends on how hot it is, how cold, you know, how cool it is at night, if they close the roof, all that kind of stuff. But I would definitely say someone to maybe look out for down here who, who we, we, we know is a great player is the Fitzgerald. I mean, he can... Right. He can do some damage down here. He loves playing here. He gets a lot of great uh, support with the Greek um, population here in Melbourne. Um, so, so maybe he's going to be under the radar. Maybe he's watching team do so well um, at the US Open and maybe he can start asking the questions, why can't he win a slam? So I'd say probably he, him outside of, um, you know, Novak and, and Dominic and, of course, Rafa. So so we'll see. Um but, you know, as I said, until Novak's not in the draw, he's the favorite to win this tournament you, again. You mentioned Ash Barty, of course, number one in the world, a little bit helped by the the, the ranking system. I mean, because she didn't mm. play the most of last year coming back. But obviously, another big story always in Australia is a guy who's nowhere near number one, but gets uh, almost as much, maybe <laughs> more attention as Nick Kyrgios. And he's been pretty vocal at different times throughout this past uh, eight, nine months about, you know, some of the players who got COVID early on. Remember that whole debacle in Europe with the Djokovic event. So he, as usual, he was sort of putting himself out there. But tennis-wise, I kind of wonder, Renee, what, you know, if he comes out of this better, like maybe the time off helped him. Did he have time to actually train? Because I think what's hurt him, in my opinion, in the big tournaments is that he's just not quite fit enough. He's not strong enough to go the distance repeatedly over the course of, a two-week event against the top players. But clearly, he's got the talent. He's got the, abil- the ability to beat anyone. W- where do you think he's at being down in Australia? And I'm assuming you know he's getting a lot of attention with the media down there. Yeah, I mean, listen, here's the thing about tennis in Australia is it doesn't get a lot of attention across the board at all until January and February roll around because it, and then it becomes the biggest story in Australia. 
is the Australian Open. That's why this tournament is so vital for Australia to host. But, um, you know, he kind of flies under the radar when the tournaments aren't on. And mm-hmm. he's clearly been flying under the radar a lot lately because he hasn't been playing at all. Um, I, I think this, I'm hope, listen, you and I both know, you, as you know, Nick, you never know with what Nick's going to do. You don't know if he's going to come out feeling re-energized after not having played all this year. Maybe he's found the love of the sport because it's been taken away from him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in any hurry to, to leave and go and play. So, he, and he is a bit of a homebody. He loves mm-hmm. being at home. He's from Canberra, which is a pretty small, I mean, it's our capital, but it's not a big metropolis. So he's been around his family. He's been kind of enjoying life. So I don't know. Hopefully it has given him a bit of a new perspective on the sport being taken away from him without him really having any choices. So I don't know. I mean, I have, I, my fingers are crossed that, you know, at some point we'll see the best of Nick Kyrgios at, at some point in his career. Um, it would be great for him to do it down here in Australia because, you know, he's such a big name and he, and he brings so many kids to the sport. Yes. You know, we love that about yep. him. He's so entertaining. He's the most unbelievably talented tennis player we've seen in a long time. But at some point you've got to win more matches than mm-hmm. one or two. So. I'm just hoping and, you know, my fingers crossed that, that we'll see that at some point and it would be great for him to do it down here. Yeah, and of course, that's, you're so right about his, his uh, effect on kids. And he's great with kids. I've seen him, you know, when he does clinics or when he, with, the, with the fans. You know, it's the, it's the adults that he seems to have more trouble with. All right, so before I let you go, Renee, and I appreciate you giving me this much time. I know you're busy. You're coaching. We have the time change from here in New York. But you're, you're a New Yorker now. You're a city girl. You actually live in the area <laughs> where I used to live with my with my family moved up uh, to the suburbs. I was going to say before you became a grown up. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean, I hope I'm still not a grown up <laughs> chasing a tennis ball around. Although I haven't been able to get on a flight to go anywhere, so we're all so used to it. So it's it's a little bit weird, but we're adjusting. But I want to I want to hear from you because uh, I know you follow politics and you you know you're you're outspoken about about everything that you're involved with whether it's a gay lesbian uh, uh, you know pride and putting yourself out there there wh- whatever it is pol- the political situation you're very involved and outspoken about it but now having a little distance from this country and sort of seeing because I hear from some other Australian friends that you know sort of non-tennis people like what in the hell is going on over there like what is what mm. what what is sort of the vibe from you personally as you as you take a look at it from the other side of the world but also just from the Australian public and and generally uh what what uh, what people there feel about what's happening over here especially right now well I mean listen <laughs> back here in Australia the perception of what's happening in the U.S. is de- definitely very eye-opening for a lot of people down here. And I think the most, uh, the, the word that gets used the most, and I don't know if you can say this on your podcast, but it's a shit show. <laughs> you can say anything so, you want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. I, 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 I swear on my podcast, so I'm assuming it uh, yes, you do it's okay. on yours from time to time. Yes. But, but you know, I mean, that's the really the way that people view it. Like, what the hell is going on over there? What is going on with this with with the country? And you know, they ask me because they know, obviously, I live and have lived over in the U.S. for, wow, almost 25 years now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty extraordinary times. I was here, obviously, during a lot of what happened in the Capitol building. And you and you know that I'm very good friends with uh, Senator Gillibrand from yes. New York and, yep. you know, checking in with her when it was all going down and how she was feeling. And, you know, it's very scary and exhausting, exhausted were her words. Mm-hmm. Um about the whole thing. Um, I'm just hoping that once, you know, January 20th rolls around and 
the country can kind of resettle a little bit because there's so much hatred um, and division in the country. And that's, I think, what Australians are very, you know, look, we, we can get pretty political down here from time to time. Mm-hmm. But overall, the, the, the consensus is, like we've seen with COVID, is that what can we all do together to make it better? And I think that that's what's been lacking a little bit in the US um, from what I get when I come back home to Australia is that, you know, we don't really have, want to have time to have arguments over this. It's like, how can we make, you know, how can we get back to living? And, and Australia is a perfect example because mm-hmm. we're a very liberal country. We're very, um, you know, we, we're very similar to the U.S. in the fact that we're allowed to do what we want kind of thing, except break rules. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're asked to save your fellow citizens, Australians are all about, yeah, let's do this and get back to work. And I think the U.S., they... They, they have that sort of stance of, yeah, but you can't take away my rights. And we're, mm-hmm. well, we're not taking away your rights. We're actually trying to get back to living. So I think that's the difference from what people here in Australia, they just kind of look at the TV and go, what the hell is happening? Um, so, yeah, it's been a little eye-opening, as, you, as I, I know everyone that's listening probably will realise. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that from where I come from and, and, and living in the US now, I, I take a vested interest in what's going on. and. I get up in the morning here and I'm watching prime time back in the US and I put it on my computer and watch what's happening on TV back there and find out what's going on. So I'm always still updated on it all, but I think it'll be a great release to everybody once uh, February rolls around in the US. Yeah, amen. You got that right. And we can, like you said, we can yeah. take a page out of the Australian book and uh, hopefully get back to normal at some point in this year. Hopefully hopefully we'll see each other uh, later this year, Renee. Well, maybe at the French Open, maybe at Wimbledon at some point. Mm. And uh, I will tell you this, though, as I let you go, uh, I will miss my trip down under. It's one of my, it's really my favorite trip all year. It's tough to be away from the family for that long for, you know, those two and a half weeks in in the middle of the school year, in the middle of winter. But I've been going every year since 91. And uh, it'll be the first year since then that I haven't been, even the years that I was playing, uh, you know, I had some injuries, but I always was healthy enough in my last few years on the tour to make the trip down under. And then, of course, we at ESPN have been covering the tournament forever. So when I first started at ESPN, that was the only major we did was the Australian Open. So I will miss it. So I will count on you to uh, go to our favorite spots in Melbourne, you know, after the matches at night and have a have a cool one and have some sushi and uh, enjoy Melbourne because I will <laughs> I will miss it this year, Stubbsy. Yeah, I know. I feel really badly for everybody that likes to, you know, spend these couple of weeks down here working and playing. And it's, it really is for all your listeners that haven't made it down to the Australian Open. Put it on your bucket list. You have to come. It's really one of the two great weeks of sports down here in Australia. And we will miss having the whole crew down here, Patrick. Yep. But you guys will be calling it from the US. And Darren and I will be on the ground here doing our best to bring everybody the, the live and in-person stuff. But I have to tell you a funny story, though, because one my very first Grand Slam title that I ever won was my doubles title down here in right. 2000. And you won, and you won six of them, you, by the way. Yeah. I, but I won that tournament, and you and Cliff Drysdale were doing the commentary for ESPN for my doubles final. And I know that because someone sent me a link, mm-hmm. um, and I had a, I had a big dive on match point. Right, I remember that. I've seen you, that. I've seen that tape a few times. Yeah. Yes, and you gave a great line. Uh, you said you've got to leave a t- good old stubsy, and it's a line that I'll never forget um, <laughs> coming from you uh, for me to win that because it meant a lot to me because I knew how into you know a doubles 
match that you and Cliff were getting into, and it was it was really nice to hear your two voices on well, that call for me. You're, you're when too I kind, that but that's because of you <laughs> and your energy. And by the way, you got to get back out to the McEnroe Academy here in New York at Randall's Island because you and I had one of my best hits in the last couple of years there because I need that nice smooth you know not too much topspin but every ball <laughs> that Stubbsy hits as clean as it was a particularly those volleys I mean second to none <laughs> well thank you thanks Patrick well I'll take a free court out in New York anytime you got I'm it with you at your academy <laughs> anytime you got it thanks again for joining me good luck to Sam Stozer good luck to everybody down under and uh, please tell them all that we will miss them this year I will. I'll tell them all you'll be back in 12 okay. months. Thanks for that. having me, Take Peter. Care. You got it. That's Renee Stubbs, okay, everyone, on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.